Every magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary. The second act is called the turn. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it into something extraordinary. But you wouldn't clap yet because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. Hey, what is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Rotten Potatoes, where four friends sit down and review movies you absolutely should have seen already. My name is Scott, and I am here with three guys that I review movies with. (laughs) It's gotten worse and worse as time has gone on. Just, just three dudes. I, I think you need to go to that other movie review thing where it's just they they do a terrible job at ranking movies. I mean, how bad? How much do you like Gravity? <laughs> uh, I'm Tyler. I'm Jake, and I think Scott's forgotten that. Who? Jake. Oh. I'm Zach. Oh, I remember Zach. Best friend number one. Best friend number one. Dude, you told me I was number one. I lied. I lie a lot to you. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Well, we are sitting down and we are reviewing the movie The Prestige today. Yeah. If you couldn't tell from the voice of the legendary Michael Caine. Is it Sir Michael Caine or just Michael Caine? It is Sir. He's knighted. He's got one of the more distinctive voices. So if you didn't, if you couldn't tell, then. I love Michael Caine's voice. Even that was the end of the movie, but the opening of the movie, like I'm immediately just drawn into the movie with the super dramatic music and then him giving this like long drawn out like explanation of overarching plot that's going to hit the whole movie. I'm just it. This movie gets me giddy. I, uh, I completely agree. And Chris Nolan has like struck gold with like working with Michael Caine as Mm -hmm. much as he has, like, like really trying to work with Michael Caine. This is a Batman prequel, right? Correct. This was the, in fact, the Alfred in this movie is the great grandfather of Alfred Pennyworth. Oh, okay. So Christian Bale through a line of descendants has actually given birth to Alfred. Yeah. It's sort of like cloud Atlas Sir Michael Caine. They kind of switch roles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, Michael Caine's character in this one is actually Batman's. Uh, Michael Caine is Batman in this movie? No, 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 no. It's his, it's, it's his, his descendant. It's his, oh, okay, okay. it's his ancestor. I meant. Yeah. So his, his name was like Cutter Wayne. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when he immigrated to America because of the disgrace of the events of this movie, he changed his last name to Wayne. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Good for him. <laughs> you're about it you're here for yeah. it yeah <laughs> that's the story of america baby but uh a lot of people uh the, i'll i'll throw a uh i'll throw a recommendation in here uh a lot of people have probably not seen this i think we all know michael Caine from his more recent works again almost all of them with christopher nolan but uh if you haven't seen it before you should really watch the cider house rules i haven't I mean, i've I, never I seen saw it, it on, i saw it was on something and i was like oh I'm interested. I don't know that it's a movie you absolutely should have seen, although it won some Academy Awards, so it was certainly, like, you know, acclaimed. But, man, is it a terrific movie. And Michael Caine just does such a great job as, like, the... Um, he's sort of... He's, like, the, the caretaker of this orphanage. And, you know, it just befits Michael Caine so much. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, Cider House Rules, terrific movie i didn't know anything about it but that actually sounds super interesting so i kind of want to watch it now it's very very good it's a coming of age story uh uh and it's terrific speaking of recommendations i mean i guess this isn't something that really needs a lot of plugging but it's something that i never gave a chance and started watching uh have you guys watched the unbreakable kimmy schmidt no, no. Show is so funny is it good <laughs> I, I was not expecting I never to get, like it i never even gave it a shot i just I assumed either. it wasn't gonna yeah be good. i didn't give I, w- I didn't give it a shot for years and then i just decided to put it on i think it's really funny i mean tina fey it's her i think she created it and she's oh, like okay I'm, showrunner or something i'm gonna be honest i watched the first episode and i didn't care for it really but sometimes like pilots aren't very good and then they get really good so maybe yeah. like should i give it more of a chance i think give it a couple episodes if okay. you don't like it after a couple episodes stop but gotcha. like yeah i'm i'm through like halfway through season two right now and i okay i love it i also have a wreck 
also. Oh man, we've got three lots, lots wrecks. Wreck. Yeah. So my wreck is um, a show that's also kind of been on for a while, but it's a little relevant in that the fourth season just came out and I feel like it's super underrated. I think way more people should be watching it, but it's the Fargo TV show. Mm. I've never seen it. I've never seen Fargo the movie either. I don't, it's on our list. I don't really like Fargo the movie. Um, I think it's weird, but I do love... Uh, I've never seen it, so I can't speak it's to just, it. It's just, I don't know. Like I couldn't get into it. I shouldn't say... Because I didn't finish it, so I can't say I don't like it. Okay, but like I maybe I was in a weird mood, but like a few times, and I think I'm prejudiced against it because uh, my dad does this thing where if ever Fargo is on TV, he'll say, "Oh my gosh, Fargo, so weird," and then he'll put it on and we'll watch the whole. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. Like I started watching, I was like, ah, maybe I'm just not in the mood for this, but this is weird. Um, well, what I'll say is I think the show is immensely better than the movie. Oh, and it's, it, I mean, I'm kind of more in the camp of, I like Fargo. I don't love Fargo. Um, but that's kind of how I feel about most of the Coen brothers movies. What? Um, yeah. A little bit. I like that's shocking. What are some of the Coen brothers, other movies just so I have reference, uh, no country for old men, right? Yeah. Never oh, saw brother. It. Where art thou? You never seen no it. country for old men. Uh-uh. That should go on our list. It is. I it's think it's on it. Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking for the last several weeks that it's like it's it's a tragedy and and bizarre that, that we, we have haven't done yet one to yet. do a Coen Brothers. Movie. Are there any Coen Brothers movies that I have seen? Probably, Probably not. not. No, My really not a not a one. No, Scott would not have seen a. Coen My Brother favorite movie. Coen Brothers movie that I've thought about um, doing for the podcast, but I just feel like it's not one of those movies that you absolutely should have already seen. My favorite one is Inside Lewin Davis, and I do really love that movie. Other than that, um, from what I've seen by them, I like them. I enjoy them, um, but they're not movies that I'm going to go back to and watch time and time again. And there's a lot of them that like are Coen Brothers classics that I still have not seen. Like I haven't seen The Big Lebowski. I haven't seen that. What either. I know, I it's, should. Uh, I've seen True Grit. Oh, okay. True Grit was not that great. The remake, I yeah. assume. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I didn't one like from, that. From uh, 2010. Ooh. Does anybody want to watch a John, John Wayne movie? No. Not necessarily. Not right. at all. Uh, the one, uh, the one, Coen Brothers movie that is classic, like truly classic, that I've yet to watch, and I've I've like, f- like flicked past it several times, and it's uh-huh. like maybe today's the day, but I haven't. Is Raising Arizona? Yeah. Oh, is that the one? I with, haven't um, seen it either. Uh, Nick, Nick Cage. Cage. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be. Uh, well, it's it's Nick Cage's like at, like most critics say it's his best role. Uh, and he fought like the Coen brothers, like treated him terribly and they fought tooth and nail at like every turn on that movie. Huh? Um, but it's supposed to be just perfection Hmm. and I've never gotten around to seeing it. My mom loves it. Like she's told me for a long time, like that I would love it and I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. My sister really likes it. Mm. I've never seen it though. All that to say, the Fargo show is exceptional. I think it's some of the best TV that has been on in the last few years, and you don't need to have seen the movie to enjoy it, um, even though there's like similar themes that kind of run throughout. Um, but it's such a great show. Is uh, mm. Martin Freeman in it all the way? I know he's in the first season. He's in the first season. So the kind of the way it works is it's a little bit of an anthology series where every season is new characters and kind of a new situation going on, but it all kind of takes place within the same... I guess, timeline, um, like characters who are older in the first season. Then we go to the second season and it takes place like a couple decades earlier and we see those characters younger. Okay. And then Mm. the third season connects to the first season in a really interesting way. And then the fourth season, which is going on right now, I haven't really like, I don't think they've really revealed yet. Um, how it connects, how it connects yet. But then also each season. So each season starts with a, um, not necessarily accidental, but like a like kind of unplanned freak death of a character. And kind of like the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the rest of the season is them having to deal with the fallout of that character's death. Okay. What streaming service is it on? So it, it's on FX on like TV, on, on network TV, um, but Hulu I think has the rights to FX, so yeah. I watch it through Hulu. Yeah, so who has cable anymore? Yeah, exactly. So it's on Hulu. Yeah, Hulu has a, a great deal with FX where like everything that FX does is is also on Hulu. Um, There's so many great actors. Like in this season, Chris Rock is playing um, a mob 
like a mobster. I like Chris Rock a lot. And I, I saw that, I think I saw that as an ad on Hulu and I was like, what is Chris Rock doing like a, like a serious role? Yeah. Chris Rock is in it. Jason Schwartzman and Timothy Oliphant is in this new season. I adore Timothy Oliphant. The couple like Ewan McGregor really? was in the last season. Yeah. Um, like uh, Nick Offerman was in season two. Um, oh, I'm gonna start Martin this Freeman, show. Billy Bob Thornton were in the first season. There's a lot of really great actors. That I'm gonna start the show, the show today. Yeah, it's so good. I, I love it. Did you watch uh, the first episode of Mandalorian season two yet? No, I forgot that it came out yesterday. I'm gonna Tim- watch it. Timothy Oliphant. Is really? It? Yeah. I Spoilers. It's not really a spoiler. <laughs> that an actor's in the show. <laughs> yeah. I haven't watched it yet. I guess by the point this airs, there'll probably be a few episodes that have come out by that point. Three or four. Three yeah. or four. We're going to be past Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, well, just so you guys know, buckle up, uh, because one of my next, if not my next, uh, obviously not next week, um, but uh, one of my my upcoming recommendations is going to be Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Coen Brothers movie, one of my favorites. Uh, and I think it's one of the movies you absolutely should have seen if for no other reason than that it was the very first movie to be entirely color corrected digitally interesting mm. uh so it was like the uh oh brother art that was a huge step into digital filmmaking which is now what virtually all filmmaking is is in entirely digital now uh there are very few directors who still shoot on film mm-hmm. uh, because it's so expensive. Um, but the Coen brothers took this big step. It was a huge risk at the time. Nobody had done it and they, they took a huge risk and I think it really paid off. I think one of the things I love so much about the movie is it's color and it's cinematography. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I've been thinking about recommending that for a long time. So you guys will have to, there's a Coen Brothers movie for you, Scott. I don't think Scott's gonna like that one. You I think, think he I'll will. Like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? No, I actually I've heard good things okay. about it. I actually think he'll really like it. Okay, I'm, I'm sure you heard I good things about There Will Be Blood, though. No, really. I the first time I heard the movie about the movie was when you guys said let's watch it for this podcast. Huh. But uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I think you'll like this. I I watched it for the first time. I want to make this whole episode about Coen yeah. Brothers and or that movie. But I <laughs> we watched. Should have done this last episode. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> when we had time to pad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh but I I uh I saw it for the first time when I was a just a, a wee lad and uh I think I was ten years old or or, or so and uh I absolutely loved it. And you liked this as a ten year old? Yeah. I think it would have been completely lost on me when I was ten. Oh, I, I loved it. Wow. I thought it was terrific. Uh my family and I still quote that movie. Really? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Do you just say a oh, brother we're out there all the time <laughs> to each other. Yeah. No. His brother's in the military, yeah. so he's not so really like, sure where he's stationed. So at. every time every time my brother's <laughs> deployed, I'm like, oh brother, where art thou? Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, I picked the prestige. We're yeah, so tell me why. Prestige at all yet. It's so dumb. <laughs> I picked the prestige. Uh I've seen this movie five or six times. It's one of my favorite uh Chris Nolan movies. Is this a, a Dave and Scott movie? No, or no he's there's no way this was on TBS. This was after the underwear days. Gotcha. I was, okay. I was 15 when this movie came out. You don't wear underwear oh, anymore. Okay, gotcha. No, I am I'm, <laughs> I'm a commando all the time now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um but I I really like the prestige. It's it's really good, great sound uh track. What's that called? Not sound score. Track, score. Score. Great score. Uh some of my favorite actors. I think everyone acts really well. Dialogue's really good. Uh good plot twist. Non-linear uh style, I think, is really well done in this movie as well. So I, I just enjoy it all around. Interesting you're talking about the acting because like I think I missed a bit at the beginning and I was like, wow, Hugh Jackman is really putting on a bad American accent. And then I realized that he was like faking it. And I was like, oh, that was good acting. Disguised as bad acting. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? When is he is American? No, he's not. Hugh Jackman? Yeah, he's... He are was, you t- saying in real life he's American? Or are you no, saying, no, 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 okay. in the no. Movie. In the movie, he's not American. He... I, I looked it up. He's, he's he's pretending to be somebody else so he doesn't disgrace his family, but he's like a lord. 
yeah, he's a British lord, and he's oh, he's affecting. I, that's a where his British money's accent. from. I missed the part that he was British. I knew yeah, that an American accent. He's, he's affecting, affecting an, American a, an American accent. But like the whole time, I was like, "Wow, that's really I put on." Missed that then. I missed it too, and that's why I was wow. like, "Wow, his accent is really put on. It sounds really bad." But then I was like, "Oh, actually, it was supposed to be that way." Because because I'm pretty sure I'm I'm 99% certain that Lord Caldlow is his real name. I'm pretty oh, sure too. Oh wow. I think so. Like that's that who he part. really is. There's so much he's in, having a, in a, a given single uh, Chris Nolan movie that, that you missed. Miss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because at the beginning, he's having that conversation with his wife, uh, the oldest daughter from Cheever yeah, by the Dozen. Yeah, I remember that part. Uh, and yeah. then he's like, I didn't want to disgrace my family with like, yeah. my, my whatever. I just missed the part that it was a British family. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. I don't think they really got into it, but I, that, yeah. that's where I pulled They it. definitely didn't get into it. Well, let's get into so, just the facts. Well, I... Uh, Oh, along with just the facts, I just looked this up. Okay. Uh, you had mentioned the score being really great, and I agreed. And it felt very, um, I don't know, almost not quite John Williamsy, but like in that sort of like vein a little bit. Um, and it turns out the score is by a guy named David Julian uh, that has not done very much of anything since the prestige, but the Nolan brothers used him on insomnia and memento prior to this. Interesting. Hmm. And then used him never again. Why wouldn't they use him again? He killed it. Yeah, I thought he did a great job. I agree with you. That's really interesting. I, I feel like maybe I'm in the minority and not thinking the score was all like really anything special. Well, apparently the Nolan brothers agreed with agreed you. Agreed with me. Yeah. I think compared to like, they've used Zimmer a lot and Zimmer. I think it felt Zimmer to me. I think Zimmer's produced better uh, stuff for them in their other movies. Yeah. So after uh, after Prestige, he just the only like even like memorable or I'm sorry, the only thing that stands out to me of his uh, I don't know if you'd call it film filmography or discography, but uh, was Cabin in the Woods. Interesting. Hmm. I wasn't a fan of that movie. I never saw it. That's just because you don't like scary movies, but. I mean, it's I, a little I bit of like somebody a, who does like scary movies. It's a little bit of a, t a twist on I because I enjoy scary movies and I'm kind of with you. I didn't love it. Oh, I liked Happen in the Woods. It's quite an a bit. interesting like take on it, um, but I didn't love the execution of it. What is it like? Yeah, uh, Little Red Riding Hood. No, nope. <laughs> you wouldn't I, like it. I like that you. Went I know there, I wouldn't yeah. like it. I was just trying to think of. A different I, uh, take on a movie with a cabin in the woods. It's it's basically about we keep we're what talking take about on? a lot of different oh, like scary movies. It's like the characters are in a scary movie, but it's literally like a simulated scary movie, and there's people like releasing monsters at specific points because it's uh, all a simulation. Got it. So it's like spoilers. Jeez, it's like a cross. <laughs> it's like a cross between like a haunted. It's it's a cross between Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hunger Games. Interesting. That's pretty cool. It, I loved it. I thought it was really great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, getting back to prestige. Just the facts. so many rabbit trails. Yeah. Just the facts. At 18 minutes. Just the facts is here. <laughs> uh, this was, of course, uh, directed by Chris Nolan and written by Chris and Jonathan Nolan, um, who are just terrific. And maybe, you know, you can disagree, but maybe at their best when they're working together. Uh, I think I would agree. Uh, this was released October 20th, uh, 2006. The other guys gave this a 76%, which mm -hmm. I felt like wow, was... That feels a little, uh, very low to me. It was when this came out, that was actually the lowest uh, rotten that they had ever had. That. The other guys. <laughs> it was the lowest uh, rating that Chris Nolan has ever gotten from the other guys, was wow. this movie. Wow. Uh, but IMDb gave it an 8.5. And that's mm -hmm. high for IMDb. Yeah, IMDb doesn't give much higher than that, like very easily. It's the 47th highest ranked film on IMDb. That's insane. Mm -hmm. It is uh, the fifth highest ranked that we've done for IMDb. Wow. Yeah, so higher than that were, was Pulp Fi in this order. Pulp Fiction, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, The Green Mile. Interesting. And then The Prestige. But it also shared 8.5 with Back to the Future and Whiplash. Oh, gotcha. So, but yeah. Uh, this uh, movie did uh, 109 in box office on a $40 million budget. Hmm. Not great. 
I mean, the percentage isn't great, but it's still made. It's still eighty million dollars. Sixty million dollars. And you know what's really interesting? Oh yeah, seventy. When this, <laughs> we're gonna split the difference. When this came out, I remember like I want to say the same year there was that movie called The Illusionist. The Illusionist. Yeah. There was a one other which I never. Paul Giamatti. Oh my gosh, Paul Edward Giamatti Norton, right? kills it in that. Ed Norton was just okay for me, but I loved Paul I Giamatti. I never in that. saw it. Oh, it's, but I haven't seen it either. I liked The Illusionist so much more than The Prestige really? when they came out. Really? Yeah. Why Why do you say that? Do you like The Prestige better now? Or? Uh, I think that I appreciate The Prestige more now, but that's just because of my love and appreciation for Chris Nolan and understanding how he directs movies and how Jonathan writes movies. Uh-huh. Um, but... I I think that the I think that the illusionist was a better film. I feel like that had to have hurt the prestige's uh, you know numbers. Having both of those movies, I'm sure they hurt each other. You I know? think they because I remember each other. like getting them confused. It's fun, like you're talking about getting confused. I had next to no clue what this movie was about when going into it, which I think was a very good way to go into it. Yeah, because like I was, Scott's like I'm doing the prestige, and I was like I don't even I I think. Christopher Nolan, I don't know, but then aside from that, knew nothing about it, and then mm-hmm. I just went and started watching it. I didn't even read this like the the blurb on. Mm. Yeah. So IMDb gave The Illusionist a seven six, hmm. so significantly lower than The Prestige. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I think they hurt each other. Uh, but did, did you this, ever watch The Illusionist? Scott? I never watched The Illusionist. I've heard multiple people though say they liked The Illusionist more than The Prestige. I have two, although, uh, yeah, I mean, they were rotten. The other guys rated it very similarly, mm. 74 and 76. Did the Prestige win any awards? It did not. The Prestige uh, was nominated for Best Cinematography and Best Production Design, but it won neither. Mm. Hmm. Uh, so I'd seen this movie before. I, I, like I, like I mentioned already, I think I've already kind of said my piece, but... Um, I, watching it again, I think I appreciated a lot more of Chris Nolan uh, and Jonathan Nolan, how they do things. Um, but, you know, this is this sits low for me. In, uh, in the Nolan in their, films? In the Nolan films. Very low. Really? I, I, I mean, maybe it's because I came into it with uh, almost no expectations. I really liked it. I would, I mean, maybe I would have to really think about the Nolan films, but I feel like I would have put it on the higher, like at least above average on my Nolan film, Nolan movies. I feel like I know, um, like I've had people say to me that the prestige is high on their Nolan ranking. Um, but I feel like I agree with you, Tyler. And so I'm curious to hear why you feel that way. Well, I'll save it for the bulk of the show, which, you know, sure. We have to, we're never going to get to that. We're never going to get to. Don't worry. I'm pretty good at speeding through plot. That's, That's true. true. But we by the way, been... by the way, I just want to take this time to talk about every other Chris Nolan movie. <laughs> <And I'm> just... <laughs> Did you guys see Dunkirk yet? <laughs> the war one? <laughs> <laughs> Great callback. Well, callback to the n- so That was off air, though. Yeah, yeah, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was yeah. off air. Oh, dang it. Yeah. So it I think he specifically house. said, I wish I would have recorded that. Yeah. Oh. That yeah, that that was a great. In-house. Anyways, should I go ahead and give my yeah. take on it? Um, I'm with you, Tyler. I, uh, I compared to other Chris Nolan movies, um, I it's lower for me as well. I think the plot is great, like amazing. I think it's a great story, great mystery. Aside from that, I there it's a little underwhelming. Aside from that, the acting is good, um, but no one wows me. The score is fine. Um, it compared to movies like inception when you have these like visually like spectacles, it's, it's a little hard for me to compare, but take other Nolan because Nolan's amazing. So compared to most other movies, I think this is a great movie. Like I think it's better than most movies and I do really enjoy the prestige. I think it's a great movie. Um, there's nothing about it that I think is bad by any means. I think it's really good. Um, but it is, a, it is lower on my Nolan ranking. Yeah, it's tough when you have a director like Chris Nolan that yeah. like is just so prolific that when you think about like The Dark Knight, how perfect that was. When yeah. you think about Inception, how perfect that was. And I know it got a lower ranking from the other guys, but even Interstellar, even if you don't love the 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 film, 
how visually yeah. stunning it was, the audio, how stunning that was, the score. Like, yeah. it was just very uh, awing at a lot oh. of different points. Inception's one of those movies that I still, like, vividly remember watching it for the first time. Just, like, in awe of what I just watched. Yeah. Even Memento, I, I still watch that, and, like, I'm more impressed by how they pulled that type of movie off oh, yeah. than I am with, like, The Prestige. Yeah. Even though if someone were to say, well, the prestige is better, I wouldn't be able to disagree with that. I would see why, but I prefer Memento. Well, I, I would say that this Memento is movie... just a more unique storytelling experience definitely. than yeah. prestige. Definitely. I mean, prestige does jump back and forth, but for the most part, it still feels very chronological. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel that way. And we, mm-hmm. we were even talking beforehand that this movie has like 140 some odd time jumps between past and present or future which averaged out to about one per minute, and it did not feel like that much to well, me. Well, no. I think the reason for that is uh, a good chunk of it is kind of in the backdrop of like a, a trial. And so there, there's kind of a very good reason to jump back where it's not like you're just jumping around. It's like, oh, well, I saw him watching him die in the thing and doing nothing, like that that kind of thing. Where it's like, I think those just didn't feel as jarring of like cuts or it wasn't as confusing as like, I'm in the future. Am I in the past? Mm-hmm. I think as memento you mean, is that? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, kind of like why, why it, it didn't feel as hard to follow. Right. Even though there was so much jumping. That's true for all of the nonlinear plot telling that's in this. It is, you're right, Jake. It's just very easy to follow. Like it, mm-hmm. it's a very sensible and uh-huh. they do a good job of building context, uh-huh. like that they're doing a lot of their uh, they're doing a lot of their um, time jumps surrounding reading a journal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're reading each other's journals, and so that's like it's two journals that are being read simultaneously, and one of them reading a journal within someone reading a journal, and so you it's easy for you to have the context of why it's happening. Uh-huh. I get that. I agree with you. Well, let's uh, as as difficult as is because it's oh, another nonlinear plot. Did I go? Uh, you sort of did, but oh, go. Yeah, no, I was gonna else. say. Yeah. No, I just was gonna say I did. Uh, I feel like I had something more to say, and that's why I said it. And then I just started thinking about if I went and I lost it. You panicked, so now you don't know what you yeah, want to say. But no, I I guess just my late bloomer feedback. Uh, liked it. And that's all I got. <laughs> I had something, and I, I'm going to feel so dumb when I remember it later. When it happens, just jump in and say it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, once again, it is nonlinear. So, if you guys want to, if you guys want to pick up at any point or chime in, f- please feel free. Um, but the movie opens with uh, 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 Angier, who's played by um, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. I, didn't the movie open? And I'm, the only reason I'm calling this out is because I'm very happy with myself for this. But as soon as the movie opened on uh, all the top hats, yeah, I was like, those are probably clone top hats. Oh, wow. First thought I had. Wow. Yeah. And then- Just because you knew it was Chris Nolan? Uh, no, I just, I, it was like, why would they be here? What's going on? And then uh, that was like my, I was like, that was my suspicion. And then as soon as they, <laughs> I guess jumping ahead in the movie, but as soon as they got to Tesla and the machine didn't work and I was like, cloned it they just don't know where it is that's where the top hats were wow mm. it was good for you i i never get those i never guess those in the movie but it sure. was honestly the first thing i thought i think my first time watching the movie i've totally forgot about the top hats from the very beginning oh god when yeah it got to the top hat because they gloss over it's it's almost like a montage mm-hmm. like because the opening is really just a montage and it's michael kane speaking michael kane speaking over a montage yep. uh and so it yeah it was it, visually beautiful but like just kind of falls into the back of your head. It was so out of place for me that I was like, that's going to, that's going to be something somewhere. Yeah. You know, well, it's uh, it's super fun because uh, the movie actually, even before that, this is fun. Are you watching closely that it's, it's black uh-huh. and you just hear uh, Christian Bale say, are you watching closely? And then the first scene is the top hats. Uh And so he's like planting that like Chris Nolan is like, and and John are planting this, like watch closely to this right now, everything that you're about to see. But it's so easy for us to 
because it's so jarring and there's so much happening, it's so easy to not watch closely. So you did. You you took the advice. You watched closely. He, did. he grabbed me. Right and it there. paid off. There's a lot of really great foreshadowing in this movie. One of the ones I picked up on was um, when a magician, not too long into the movie, but is doing a trick where he is essentially uh, shows the audience a bird, kills it under a, like a curtain, and then brings a new one out pretending it's the same one. And that's essentially what... Angier's doing by the end of the movie just with yeah. himself. Mm-hmm. Well, and but then also in that same moment, the kid, the kid is crying, and yeah. and uh, uh, he comes over and shows him. Uh, uh, Freddie comes over and shows him, and Alfred, and he says, uh, "No, see, look, he's fine." He says, "But what about his brother?" Yeah, and then like that was something. Thinking back on it now, because I didn't know, he's like. Christian Bale is so like taken aback. He's like, you had a, like a, a quick kid there. Yeah, because he's he's thinking, oh my gosh, like he already knows, like he's already like uh, speaking about the trick that I haven't even revealed yet that uh-huh. I've been working toward my entire career. So anyway, sorry, Scott. So the movie opens. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. I promise. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to restore it, but this will go just fairly, like Chris Nolan. Quick. This episode is a nonlinear plot. Yeah, it's nonlinear. I mean, because we've already talked about a lot of the movie, <laughs> and we haven't started the play by play. But yeah, we're introduced to uh, Robert Angier and Alfred Borden. They're both like um, assistants to this other magician uh, who's uh, doing uh, a trick with um, a woman who gets out of. Uh, water with her hands tied a water escape a water escape and the woman is uh Angier's Angier's wife wife. and uh there's this whole back and forth about different knots that work better and one knot isn't a water knot and so they don't want to try or the length for double yeah the length for double Angier doesn't want to try because he thinks it's risky for his wife but his wife and Borden are both comfortable doing it and Borden thinks that it'll hold better. It'll hold better so that she doesn't uh, fall when the crane hoists her up. Uh-huh. And so they, uh, we see, we have seen them do this trick once uh, on screen, and now they're doing it a second time. And this time, they decide to do this other knot without telling anyone. And the water swells the rope, and she can't untie herself, and she ends up drowning. The I guess, like. I wasn't clear on it and I, I'm only bringing it up because you mentioned it. Like they decide to, when he says like, I don't know, like, is that true? When later he's like, I don't know what not I tied. I, I, I took it to be true. I, I take it to be true as well. Although I think he decided in that moment because he looks at her as in the middle of tying the knot, he stops, looks at her and she gives a subtle nod and uh-huh. then he ties a different knot. I think, but I think that I think that the trauma left him unsure of, of his own action. I mean, that's See, a pretty I, typical. I like, took it as he didn't know because he wasn't the brother that did it. That's kind oh. of my thought too. Because but like his every brother. Every time he gets asked, he's like, I don't well, know. And especially dealing with her, like the brother who did it wouldn't want to go and face Angier. Right. And so the other guy who wasn't a part of it, it was like, okay, I can go do this part. That was and my, so that's how yeah. he didn't know. Because he wasn't the one who actually did it. That wow. was my thought too. But I even had the suspicion because, and I only ask, I, I don't necessarily buy into this theory, but Borden is so calcu- calculating and so like in control. He's always like 10 steps ahead of Angier. And it, it's just, it seems like everything he does, he knows what he's doing. And so do you think that there's any room to say that he knew that that would happen? And no, planned? I don't, really don't think you don't so. Think so. No, I don't, I don't think, think so. he murdered his wife. Okay. I think it was an accident. Yeah, I, I think it was I think it was entirely an accident. I think it was because you're right, he he's always in control with the exception of his hubris. Like his the only thing that he's completely not in control of throughout the movie is his own arrogance yeah you're right you're right well and they're not enemies until this point and i don't he has no reason to be exactly exactly and like i don't know if maybe you guys feel the same way or like picked up on this but like i feel like you can kind of tell like there's one specific borden brother that is more arrogant than the other one Mm. like um even when because i was trying to remember like when he's in the jail and it's like i'm trying to pick like piece together which one is it that's in the jail is it the one that loves his it was wife? the actual dad of the little girl no it was um i don't believe so i think it was the one that loved olivia that was because in the jail i 
Yeah, because I think they they make some illusion like she needs her father and like we need to bring her father back. And that's the only reason why I might. I think that's the only hint that I feel like we got. No, because we see Fallon. Oh, uh, well. There's a couple things, and I wish I could remember now, but there's a couple things that tip me off. They, that I they think- spell it out because at one point he says, uh, I loved Sarah and, and you know, like it, it's spelled out. Yeah. But I don't remember how it shakes. I, I I think that and there's a couple things that made me think it a little bit like it's more concrete of a case that I can't re- I can't remember right now. But I feel like whenever we see the Borden that loves Olivia Scarlett Johansson, he's the more arrogant one. Mm-hmm. He's the one that shows up to the restaurant and is like, "We need to celebrate," you know. And right. And in the jail, he's the kind of cocky one. And I I kind of take it as like he's the more cocky of the brothers. And the one that loves Sarah and that like desires to have that family and that relationship is is more of the subdued one. Maybe I always took it as the actual father was the one in jail. I I don't think so. I I, I actually don't. I don't think so. It's interesting because this is I mean it's the first time I have seen it, so that wasn't even something I'd really taken thought to until right now. Because there was so much going on at the mm-hmm. end where I was like, well, I, I didn't think about which one died. I guess a better question is, do the brothers even know which one's the real father? I don't know. I mean, you know I, what I, mean? I because, never thought that much about it. Because yeah. for a long time, like they were both married to this one woman. Yeah. And, and regardless of if one was like really in love with her or not, like mm-hmm. you got to imagine that there's some blurred line there yeah what's interesting too and i guess we're just going to kind of jump around and rather than do like a full like in order like view of the movie but it's <laughs> interesting that yeah. the wife can tell that they're different yeah like she's like no you don't love me today like today's it that's a- one of my favorite tro- uh, like uh like plot points of the movie is her recognition mm-hmm. and it's such a great it's used so well like just for the audience's sake to kind of like be able to Kind of have some context. Yeah. You know, you can go back throughout the movie and see then which brother is Borden and which one's Fallon. Yeah. So I guess it's not a plot point. It's a plot device. I think that they're both Borden Borden and both Fallon. Well, they are, but like in that moment. Yeah. Which one is in disguise and which one is being Borden. Uh Yeah. So I think we've talked about it and maybe we didn't talk about it on air, but the first time I watched this movie, I was not looking for it at all. Yeah. Me too. I did not see this coming one bit. I didn't either. But Jake, uh, you did. The Fallon. Yeah, the- I, I did because I, I was already thinking about clones. So I think the thing that really threw me for a loop was that they're brothers. I was like, are, were they clones? Or are they really brothers? Um, but I think there are some times you can notice, like you're looking and you're like, Fallon's beard looks like it's fake, you know, and things like that. And like the fact that he never talks and like all those things. And like, like when he's talking like, Oh, he's like something so precious to me. I almost lost. And he's talking about Fallon that was buried. And so all those things I was like, okay, I wasn't surprised. I was, I was thinking along those lines. Like that's him or that I I thought that was his clone. But yeah, it's so funny because I think in the moment, again, I saw this when it came out in theaters. um, I really fell for the misdirect where I, just didn't even pay any attention to Fallon. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the like Nolan communicated to me sub- subconsciously, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like he doesn't have any lines. He's not important. He's he, yeah. he, he's just unimportant. Yeah. And so I I fell for that hook line and sinker. But at the same time I feel like they kind of call attention to it in a different way like it's people call attention like he never talks like he doesn't say anything right right and so then that was why i was like why doesn't he say anything the only reason is if he sounds exactly the same he's he's disguising and honestly like i think i don't know what it was but like when i was watching this i was watching it with my girlfriend and then she was like who's that guy and i was like that's him in disguise right because like i was kind of like looked away and i was like and i thought he took off a disguise or something because like he's a magician and they do disguises the whole time and then we rewound it i was like oh i guess it was a different dude the first time he came uh, in, but like I almost like looking at, it, I was like, because I wasn't. You were like, actually right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I had no idea. <laughs> it's really interesting. I think we were talking a little bit off air. Like I mentioned, like once you know that Fallon is Borden, it seems so obvious. Like yeah. it looks oh, yeah. just like Christian Bale. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's the thing with any magician's trick and that's kind of what they get at. It's obvious exactly. if you yeah. know. And that's what I was going to kind of speak to is that like even Borden in the movie kind of says like, don't reveal your trick. Like once you reveal it, like you're nothing to them. Like right. they, they, they don't care about the results. That's not the impressive part. The mystery is the impressive part. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and even at the end, I think it ends with that line of like, uh, you're not looking for the answers. You're just looking to be fooled right? Something to that extent. Ooh, and it's kind of crazy how like that's happening to you as the audience member, or at least it was to three out of four of us. Yeah, I guess in so many ways, this really was the movie that led the Nolan brothers to the story of Inception in yeah. so many ways of like this idea of let's play with misdirect let's play with uh you know because they've already played with uh non-linear plot yeah in memento and now and they played a little bit i think with misdirect to a certain degree with insomnia and now they're leaning really heavily into that and also this notion of like let's see if we can fool our audience like rather than like our characters being misdirected, let's see if we can misdirect the audience. Yeah. And then we end up with Inception that's like all of those things together. Totally. And like part of like doing magician work, magic is planting an idea in, your, in the audience's mind about right. something, which right. is like the major plot point of Inception. I think even, I want to say Michael Caine says something very much to that effect in the beginning when he's talking about like he take you take this normal thing and we make sure that it's normal and then he, he shows you yeah he lets you inspect it even uh -huh. and, then, and yeah. like kind of like planting an idea in your head that that's what it is like he kind of like almost hits that yeah which is so fun for a filmmaker to do it's very unique very impressive you know i'm talking myself into rating this like in this higher. more yeah. <laughs> yeah like earlier i was kind of talking about how like in some ways i feel like it, it pales a little bit in comparison to some of nolan's movies but i think that you could make the case that this is his like most airtight script oh mm. sure and i would not be able to disagree with that yeah i yeah, yeah I, I guess i could agree with that yeah so coming back to kind of move it along a little bit some of the major uh, plot development is, uh, of course, Angier's wife dies, and at this point, he... Well, I'm sorry. I think we skipped a very major point. It was at the very beginning that we see Angier's drowning in the tank, and Borden is on trial for his murder. Yeah. Well, we don't see him on trial at the very beginning. Right. right. Which, we I did. thought we cut to the trial like pretty quickly, and then you we You do see back. it pretty early on. Oh, yeah. do you? But, but nonetheless, I mean, I guess... Scott's telling a chronological plot rather than the plot of the as as as, it, as yeah. it's revealed. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, so Angier's wife is dead, and at this point, uh, Angier develops a hatred of Borden, and it's kind of set out for a couple things. He still kind of wants his own um, uh, grandiose uh, like title, but he also wants to destroy Borden and wants uh, Borden to uh, just be a hack. And so he's constantly trying to steal Borden's uh, uh, magic and um, at the same time, like, boost himself. And so there's some back and forth where they're, they're in each other's audiences and they do things. At one point, Borden does a, uh, a bullet catch trick and Angier sneaks in the audience and gets to be the person and puts a real bullet into the gun and shoots off uh, – Borden's, Borden's fingers. fingers because he misshoots actually because um, Fallon uh, actually comes and knocks his hand. I, I mean, I know it wouldn't have been an interesting movie, but how great would it have been if he killed Borden and then Fallon just came out alive? I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, an, uh, it's not as intriguing of a movie, but it would be a good movie if, if this movie didn't exist. Like that story would have been good as well. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, I, I wonder, Scott, I wonder if I'm, I could be wrong, but I wonder if, uh, if Angier's critical character flaw is that he doesn't care about his own success as much as he cares about Borden's failure and revenge on Borden and that his success is really only 
an aim in as much as that it pisses off Borden. Like it's revenge against Borden. I think it's completely intertwined. And the reason I say that is because um, if it was just about revenge and destroying Borden, I, uh, I think it's, there's this one scene where he's talking with Scarlett Johansson's character and they have a back and forth argument and he ends up saying, I don't care about my wife. Right, right, right. Which was like a oof, like what are, why are we doing this then? And so that part of it, I mean, that for me brings back, like he's also trying to build up himself and it's not just the revenge on Borden. I took that kind of as like, his hatred for Borden has just completely consumed him and that he, he forgot why he hated yeah, him. He's lost com- completely lost sight of what this was really about for him was where I took that. So he, uh, they, they engage in this insane rivalry and, and Borden reveals his, his opus, his magnum opus, which is the transported, the transported man. man. Yeah. And he goes into a cabinet, bounces a ball and comes out of another cabinet 20 feet away. And it's him. And uh, Angier becomes obsessed with trying to replicate this mm-hmm. trick. And the thing that really sells him on it, that it's not a double, is that his fingers are gone. Right, right. Again, he's like, it's, it's got to be the same guy. Like, he's missing fingers. He looks exactly the same. Yeah. Well, he doesn't. Yeah, he believes it's the same guy. Yeah. But he believes that because of Olivia. Mm-hmm. Olivia notices that. Mm-hmm. But, but Michael Caine's insistent that it's a double. Yeah. He said the only way to do this is with a double. And ironically... He was right. He was right, yeah. Uh, and then later on, we come to find out, I mean, we've already revealed the secret that they're twin brothers. Um, but after uh, Borden gets his finger shut off, they uh, and Scarlett Johansson leaves on Angier to go help Borden, uh, Scarlett Johansson actually recommends like, hey, you need to use the, the fingers to make this be more believable. And she actually coaches Borden to have Fallon chop his fingers off too. So that, that they, they match. Had, I thought they had already done that because remember he, before any of that happens, his wife's like, how can it be bleeding again? It was because he was the other one and he had had his fingers chopped off. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think they did that on their own. Maybe I, she was coaching him more like, don't wear the glove. Like Got she it. was the big thing she brought to his act was he was not selling anything. Like he was so, and it, I mean, all of his shows you watch them, they're so boring. Like he's just, yeah, like, he wasn't a showman together. at all. Yeah. And so, yeah, you to could, quote, uh, to quote, uh, Carter, or I'm sorry, Cutter, uh, he's the greater magician, but Angier's the greater showman. Yeah. You could say Hugh Jackman is the greatest showman. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I've never seen Zach look more disappointed in his entire life, which is also a good movie. I like the greatest showman. Uh, so I don't. That's fair, but I'd like it. I, I my disdain for the greatest showman is not necessarily anything with the greatest showman. It's more so when La La I Land. whenever I bring up how I love La La Land, people are always like, "Oh, well, greatest showman's better." I'm like, "Oh, I don't think that." Are you talking about? I've not seen the greatest showman, so why are they being compared? Because they're musicals. They're both musicals. They're both musicals. There's really not much about them that is similar at all, which is why I get so frustrated when people compare them because it's like they're very not similar well i'm sorry i triggered you know that i'm not comparing them and i don't i appreciate that i don't (laughs) think the greatest showman is better than lala you know what i didn't do i didn't hate the greatest showman but i do now just because people (laughs) people have made me hate it you know you could do to put yourself in uh that position is whenever someone's like well i really like lay miz just be like well lala land was way better (laughs) (laughs) i just never hear people say i really like lay miz or it, it sounds awful i've never seen it or you know what you could do to make yourself feel better like in in that same sense of control is that when people say they love young frankenstein you can just say i loved airplane way better i've literally never heard before jake anyone say i love you well you know what felt like an unnecessary dig at me (laughs) and a lot of people love that movie they're all dead now with uh with the transported man uh (laughs) borden is starting to get some some fame and starting to get some money he buys a house for him and his wife uh they're they get pregnant they have a kid um and at this point as angier's trying to steal his uh his trick he sends uh scarlett johansson's character over to try to steal for him but she is so pissed at him because she loved angier and wanted to be with angier she feels betrayed so then she actually just goes and helps borden um and then uh pretends that she's still working with Angier and feeds him back a notebook uh, that has all of his like tricks and stuff in it. 
And then uh, from there, Angier's trying to decipher because it's written in a code where you needed like a, a code word to get into it. And through this notebook, he comes to the conclusion that uh, the reason he's able to do this trick is because of a machine that Nikola Tesla has built him. And then I was thrown for the biggest loop of my entire life when David Bowie walked out as Nikola Tesla. <laughs> and then like thinking about it, even thinking about it in the movie, I was like, I don't know who you cast to play Tesla except for somebody like like a legend like Bowie that's just so weird and out there anyways that you're not even going to be thinking about how do, how do you cast Tesla. See, here's uh, and this. You guys can ridicule me if you want. I had no clue who it was. I didn't know what David Bowie looked like. And you so for me, it was just like an Zoolander. actor. I didn't know David Bowie was in Zoolander. They literally flash his name on screen. They, they, <laughs> I, he, he judges no. the walk off and then they're like, it's David Bowie. And then he takes his glasses off and they slam right onto his face. I, yeah. That no, is probably in and out of Scott's head in yeah. seconds. Yeah. I had no clue. But who uh, to, to your point, I think um, someone looked this up, but I think Chris Nolan agreed with you that David Bowie was the only person that could really nail this role. Yeah, yeah. At first David Bowie denied it. Like he offered him the role. He refused and it. He refused. Yeah. And so then Chris Nolan flew out to talk to David Bowie and what I want and said, you're the only person I want for the show. I need someone who's big and extravagant. Yeah. And then he changed his mind and agreed. Yeah. Which you would think like the way that he's described that like he would have Tesla as this like larger than life guy, but like the, the, he was fairly normal. Yeah. The role itself yeah. was like pretty subdued. Yeah. And so, uh, Angier seeks out uh, Tesla and invests a ton of money to have him start building this machine who, uh, and there's some misdirection from Tesla to Angier in, cause he thinks that he's worked with Borden in the past and he leads him to believe that he has worked with Borden in the past, but he hasn't really worked with Borden in the past. I, I just wanted to point something out. I don't know if anybody caught this, uh, but Andy circus plays Tesla's. Yeah. Alley. Assistant Ali, yeah. yeah, uh, and he makes a big deal about he remembers Angier, he had seen him before, and mm -hmm. he said, You did this whole trick, you know, mm -hmm. where you guessed the what was in the pocket of like 20 people uh -huh. in the audience, and he and he walks away and he says, What's in my pocket? and he says, Pocket watch, yeah, yeah, the Hobbit. That's how pocket watch what? no it was that was oh, the whole oh, gag was what what's in my, my pocket, pocket? Oh. that was the that was and it, it was played by andy circus it was it was yeah. played by andy circus nice catch i kind of wasn't paying attention i to did that. not i was sitting there that dot at all i was explaining to my girlfriend who andy circus was <laughs> 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 and i was like that's andy circus and she said who and i said Gollum. and, and then she, she said, said what who? and i said <laughs> He, he, I think he's got a good face for motion capture. And then <laughs> I didn't even bother, but I would have had the exact same conversation with my wife. <laughs> Andy Serkis, uh, for those who don't know, I don't know how you don't if you're listening to this podcast, but he's the king of motion capture. Yeah. Uh, like he's done everything. Well, he was, he, he was Caesar and Planet of the Apes and yeah. a bunch of things. He was King Kong. He was King Kong. He was? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was uh, Snoke in. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. He was. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's just. A lot of iconic roles without his face. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But then a couple with. Yeah. He was yeah. in Black Panther. Uh-huh. Well. And Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, yeah. You're right. He is yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. I always forget. Yep. Uh, so he gives, uh, Angier gives Tesla a ton of money to build this machine, and he comes back a couple times to, to check on it, see how it's working. All the while, he's trying to still work through this diary. Yeah, just to steal the tricks and he realizes he gets to the end of the diary and it basically says it's a fake and it's a plant and his tricks aren't in it and that his assistant lied to him. I, I think he, he addresses it directly. He's like, yeah, I, I never went to America. I never met Tesla. Mm -hmm. But then when he goes to see Tesla, he's got this machine and the machine's actually built. Yeah. But it's just throwing sparks at his top hat. He thinks, but what it's been doing and, to nobody realized nobody decided to look outside and see that there's like a hundred top hats. So as Angier's like storming out, just like getting rid of Tesla from his life, he stumbles across all the top hats and the cats that they've been cloning this whole time. Yeah. And that's when he realizes like, Oh my gosh, I have something like really crazy on my hands. And so uh, long story short, he ends up getting the machine and gets this new trick. Edison just destroys Tesla's place. But they were able to get the machine out in time. Yeah. 
I and, got uh, Kubrick vibes whenever we see the machine, especially in its like wooden crate, especially the music that's playing in that in that moment. I thought like when I saw the crate, the word that came into my head was monolithic. Yeah, which is exactly what you're describing. Yeah, that's exactly like my thought. Whenever like I, I wonder if that's kind of intentional or not, but it reminded me of that the monolith in 2001: A Space Oddity. Well, Odyssey. Uh, Odyssey. I always do that. Well, David Bowie. So yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, it's funny because Nolan has obviously made nods to Kubrick. Yeah, you're right. And that particular movie in Interstellar. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I would not be surprised if he was not making. I'm glad that you also. It was felt my immediate thought. Yeah. yeah, I felt it completely. So they build the machine, and they he develops the the new trick where. He actually clones himself and it teleports him somewhere within like 50 to 100 meters of the machine. And uh, he has to figure out a way to actually dispose of his old self because it's a clone. And so he drops himself through the floor and into the same type of tank that his wife died in filled with water. And he then walks out from wherever he was teleported to and reveals like, hey, look, I'm over here. And it's interesting that uh, you were talking about Zach earlier that he Borden is always in control. He's always 10 steps ahead, but this is the first time where he has no idea what's going on. He has no clue. And how yeah. He's, he's doing yelling this. at Fallon, which is just his twin. I don't know which one of them is the guy that's actually making the trick. Sure, he's like, yeah. why can't you outthink him? Yeah. And I don't think we mentioned this, uh, but, uh, Alfred's name with his brother, this isn't said in the movie. It's only in the novel, but their names are Albert and Frederick and together they make Alfred. Which so is interesting. I have a question because there's a point where um, Angier, when he's kind of revealing everything to Borden a little bit later, I guess, in the movie, he says, like, it, it was terrifying never knowing if you were going to be the, the one. The man in the box or the man on the other side. So does that mean, like, does that open up the possibility that the real Angier, the original, may have died? Oh, he is. Well, he is dead because the original stays in place. Is that and drops? Yeah, I, I guess that's. And then the clone goes somewhere else. But but he definitely says like he was terrified. He never knew which one he was. So doesn't Correct. that mean that the real one could have been transported? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't it's think it makes so sense weird. that it would create a new one right in that place, and then it, the original's transported so then away. Do, I'm assuming then, like I guess the logic only tracks if each clone, when it's created, is created with memories all up to yeah. that point that's yeah. how it so seems. for the Got clone it, it feels yeah. like he was transported sure okay that, but the original was the one that's crazy yeah so um i'll maybe fill in a little bit of a plot because i have a question about this too um borden goes to watch the show and he goes up as a volunteer and he's in disguise and then as he's walking up on stage he then makes his way backstage someone tries to stop him but he takes off his beard and tricks him into thinking he says i'm, I'm a part of the act yeah he goes down and he sees, we go back to the, we're, the opening scene. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And we see Angier drop in and then Borden's freaking out and whatnot. And a different Angier does not reappear at the back of the stage so that they could frame Borden. Correct. This was all a plot to get Borden. But this wasn't the first time Borden's been to the show to watch it. I know, but no. I think he, I think he knew he saw Borden come on stage this well, he'd time. even been on stage before. Well, I think that's why he did a hundred shows. He figured eventually Borden would come downstairs and he was waiting for that time to not reappear. So someone had to have been keeping an eye to, to see if Borden was yeah. gonna... Well, n yes and no, because he's on stage and Borden, he can see Borden. He's oh, on stage. He can yeah. see Borden leave. And remember, the clone is born essentially with, with all, all the same of, knowledge all the same knowledge up to that point and i guess he heard borden screaming because everyone yeah. hears that so i guess that's not too hard to then just the, not walk just up not and, walk back yeah. out yeah the biggest thing i didn't understand was why at the trial cutter was so sure that borden had killed him because he was trying to break open the thing like he was frantic he was freaking out and he was trying to break the glass well, i think i could have just been employed to try to make it look like he didn't kill him no 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 i i think yeah that sure but i think that the you know it's the idea of confirmation bias uh -huh. you know that when we are so convinced that someone is our villain or the villain of our dear friend we assume that all of their actions are villainous okay mm -hmm. And I think so, one of the most like confusing parts for me was, um, or just like 
I, I wondered why this never happened was that like Cutter, um, he, he spent his entire career creating these devices um, used to trick people, like basically like the apparatuses that magicians use. But then for this act, Angier only wants him in front of house. Like I would think that Cutter would like, I guess just even just out of like professional curiosity, poke his head around and say like, how, how are you doing this trick? Like he just wasn't letting him. Well, he did at one point and Angier like says, Hey, I told you I only want you in the front of house. And I think that Cutter was a true friend. Hmm. I think he that honored he was, that. I think that he was genuinely Angier's friend. And I think that's why he's so hurt by the end yeah. and why he is, I think, uh, an accomplice of Angier's murder. I think he was so hurt by Angier that he worked things out to murder for, uh, for yeah. Fallon to murder Angier and then to come and get his, his niece yeah. slash daughter. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So with all that, um, Borden is framed for the murder of Angier. He's in prison and we're introduced to this new character, uh, who is Lord, uh, called low called low. Who's buying up all of Angier's old stuff and he's trying to buy Borden's old tricks and they uh, end up meeting uh, right before Borden's going to be hung and it turns out it is in fact uh, Angier um, and that he had, didn't actually die and uh, this the story kind of uh, seemingly is coming to an end and uh, Borden is hung but uh, and at this point we've also have now I've had revealed that it is a brother and there's two of them. Um, and so as Angier, as Lord Cal- Caldwell, which is probably who his actual name, right. Um, is like getting all of his stuff. The twin shows up and kills Lord Caldwell. And this is where Michael Caine then show like does the final cl- clip of you got to bring him back. And that's where we got our audio from for the very beginning of the episode. But that's, that's the prestige. Terrific film. Loved it. Favorite line, favorite part? I don't know if I have a favorite line. I think my favorite part, um, it's hard to say this is my favorite part, but the part that I like, I had no memory of. And so watching it last night for the, like, I mean, my third time watching it, but I, uh, I enjoyed it so much because I'd completely forgotten about it was when, um, so Borden has uh, gotten to the double, Angier's double, and kind of like used him as a little bit of like leverage and even gets to the point where he goes in and sabotages Angier's show. And instead of the double coming up on the other side, Borden walks out. Mm-hmm. And promotes his own show. Promotes his own show. And then, like, he has the double, like... Descend. Yeah, descend. And the, there's, like, an ad for his own show across the street at the yeah. Orpheum or whatever. Um, because the entire movie, I'm super team Borden. I think that Hugh Jackman's character is meant to be kind of unlikable. Oh, yeah. I At first, I thought, like, they were making him out to be the sympathetic one, but I was like, I still, yeah, I'm still team Borden. And then by the end of it, he, I think he is just the villain. Yeah, I agree. And so you're watching this and like, I just love how much he got Angier in that moment. I just thought Mm -hmm. it was a fun, creative scene. I really enjoyed watching it. That was the scene I was going to bring up as my favorite. That's a, that's a great scene. I think my favorite lines are both the very beginning and the very end with, uh, Michael, um, Kane, Kane, just talking about what goes into the magic tricks. Like, those are both both times he says it in the beginning and in the end are both like ooh I'm ready. Oh yeah, I uh, I think that my favorite line, uh, favorite line or favorite scene I think is probably uh, the early on the the but it's his brother. What happened to his brother? And then he says, "Well, you've you've got a really smart kid." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just that uh, incredible. Uh, very subtle foreshadowing. Yeah, that w- I also. I mean, it may be a little creepy, but part did make me laugh a little bit when uh, she he was walking her home, and then she says something about going inside, and he's like, "You really think that can keep me out?" Yeah, that's a fun just scene. Inside. That is a great scene. His laugh in that moment it just tickles me every time I see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you know you got to think that like as a twin, yeah. like you could get your like okay, like help be my wingman. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. you got some great twin wingman uh, <laughs> opportunities, especially if your twin is a abject secret for yeah everyone in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. I, I like a lot of the little nods, a lot of the little moments. Um, 
I didn't catch this, but um, uh, I was reading about, I well, I guess I sort of caught it. I was like, oh, that's funny, but I didn't put it together for why. So Borden in prison is wearing uh, a number, the an D23. inmate number, and it's D23. And it's super prominent. And I like I, I noticed it this time watching it through, but I didn't connect why. But uh, I was reading about it, and Touchstone is a subsidiary of Disney. Hmm. Oh. And so D23 is obviously like that's a, a nod at Disney. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, to their parent company, which I just thought was fun. Like, you know, uh-huh. anytime you have little Easter eggs, I always think they're they're neat. I don't really have any recasts. Do you guys? Oh, God, no. No. Mm-hmm. Nope. I mean, I, you have two Academy Award winners, two Academy Award nominees. Yeah, I mean. Music I've, legend David Bowie. Yeah, <laughs> music legend David Bowie. Uh, Andy Serkis. You know, I, it, yeah. Mike, it was yeah. all around just a great, great cast. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's yeah. incredible. Uh, all right. Well, uh the only thing left for us to do with the prestige before we put it to bed, put it up on our shelf of movies that we've reviewed is to actually review it. So Jake, so, will you spin up, uh, spin up those servers for us? Yeah, are you paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> Turn around. They're not going to be there. Jake, what would you give this movie? Uh, I'm going to give it 8.7 missing fingers. Dang it. I was going to say that. I'll, I'll change it a little bit. Scott? I'll give it 8.9 blown off fingers. Oh, well, all right. Are they going to be like when your brother loses his fingers and you also <laughs> chopped In off fingers of your brother? Yeah. Yeah. Zach? I'm also going to give it 8.7 dead birds. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to give this 8.3 uh, Michael Caine voiceovers. And uh, so you heard it here first. This movie, we gave an 87%. 87% on Rotten Potatoes. Just as a reminder, the other guys gave this a 76%, uh, which we all decided was incredibly low. Mm -hmm. IMDb gave it an 8.5, which is right along line with with how we felt about this movie. Let us know what you felt. You can do that by reaching out to us on Instagram at Rotten Potato Pod. Uh, And uh, tune in next week where we're going to be reviewing my movie, uh, which is Garden State. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Should be fun. We'll see what uh, what you guys think. Watch along with us and uh, make sure to uh, make sure to chime in. Let us know. Uh, let us know what you think. Let us know about the show. What you think we could be doing better. And hey, I don't think we have a whole lot of these, but give us a rate on Apple Podcasts if that's your thing. You uh, you can also find us on uh, share us with your friends. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Yada, yada, yada. All the places are you find your podcast. We are. I finally added us. I, I honestly, that was on me. I neglected to add us. I just told somebody the other day that I didn't think we were on iHeartRadio. We no. are now. Okay. Yeah, it's just a couple of weeks old that, okay. that we've been on iHeartRadio. So, uh, but yeah, Scott, any, uh, any final thoughts as we get out of here? I feel like if Chris Nolan did another movie...